0: Good morning, good morning. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord together. It is, it's full in here, my goodness. Um, what, a, what a joy it is to worship together. I love that last song we sang, Cornerstone. Just powerful uh, lyrics. Well, I am Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Integrity Church. And, um, and I am excited to be able to bring the word this morning. Uh, if you've been in church long... Perhaps you, like I, love to hear a testimony, someone sharing their story of, of faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to hear an extraordinary testimony of a man by the name of Saul, of Tarsus. You know him as the Apostle Paul. If you will, turn your Bibles to First Timothy chapter one. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. We just started last week, going through 1 Timothy, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 12 through verse 20. Um, before we read it, however, I just want to remind you a little bit of the context here. Uh, remember the context of 1 Timothy. The book of, of 1 Timothy is a letter, and this letter is written by Paul the Apostle to a young pastor named Timothy. And Timothy, as the pastor of his church, was having some difficulties in his church because there were some false teachers that were circulating lies and false teachings to the congregation. And so Paul uh, catches wind of this, and he decides to write a letter to Timothy. And as we saw last week, Paul strongly charges Timothy To stop these false teachers, to stop these false teachings, to correct them, to stop these people from believing the wrong things. Well, this week, we're going to now see Paul lay out the truth, the true gospel. In our text this morning, Paul shares his testimony and uses that to Tell Timothy and us what the gospel is. So uh, I'm going to read it once all the way through. It's a lot of verses, so stay tuned. And then we'll go through it verse by verse. So let's pick up in verse 12. Paul begins, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come before you eager and ready to hear your word. Will you teach us this morning, Lord? Will you grow us in knowledge of your great grace, that it would transform our lives and that all the world would see. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's pick up in verse 12. Paul opens up this paragraph, he says, I thank God, him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Here Paul begins by expressing thanks to Jesus. He's thankful to Jesus because it is Jesus Christ who has empowered Paul, strengthened Paul, and has appointed him as an apostle and a servant of Christ. He continues, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. See here, now we begin to get the bigger picture here. Now we begin to get the depth of Paul's gratitude as he admits he's very unworthy of this position as an apostle. If anyone knows Paul's story, they'll agree that he is the most unlikely candidate to be chosen as an apostle. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of Christ, that is exactly what Paul used to be. This man had a dark past. Paul, as many of you know, used to be a Pharisee named Saul. And Saul was a, a zealous teacher and an expert of Jewish law. And in the, in the book of Acts, we see that Saul was a great persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He hated Christ. And he made it his mission to try and convict and uh, imprison and execute Christians. This is who he was. In Acts 8, we're told that it is Saul who actually approved the execution of Stephen, the first martyr. Acts 8.3, we're told Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. A vicious oppressor. This is who Saul was, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of Christ. But as the story goes, one day Saul, on the road to Damascus, he was heading to go and attack more Christians. But Christ Jesus stopped him on his way. He was met with a great light and he fell to the ground and Jesus cried out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here in this powerful scene, Jesus reveals himself to Saul and he calls Saul to repentance and to faith. And that's exactly what happens. Saul repents and he believes and he receives the mercy of the Lord, as Paul says here I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. But not only did Paul receive mercy, being spared his life, Paul also received grace and blessing. At this moment of repentance, Paul received uh, the, the greatest grace of being a child of God. He was redeemed, forgiven of his sin. Given a new life, his his name, his entire identity was changed. Now no longer was he Saul, but he is now Paul. And so we read in verse 14, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul received the love and faith and the eternal life that are in Christ Jesus. This great persecutor of the church becomes the great apostle and servant of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's testimony. And this is why he is so thankful, we see, in this text. And and then he now declares in verse 15, one of the most powerful gospel passages in the Bible. He says, "...the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance." that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Having recalled his story, his past, his testimony, Paul now, for Timothy, summarizes the gospel. It is this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came into the world to save Sinners. Sinners. Those who commit sins. Those who have broken God's righteous law and have rejected His commands. Those who have turned from God to idols and things. Sinners. This is who Christ Jesus came To save, to save Paul, the blaspheming, persecuting enemy of God, and Paul here says, "I am the foremost, the worst of them." I mean, look, look at, look at, look at Saul. Look at Paul's past, right? He's pretty bad. Paul is essentially saying here, "If God changed me, if the saying." Is, worthy, is, is true even for me, the foremost sinner, then it is trustworthy and fully deserving of acceptance for all. He continues in verse 16, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Here we see now that Paul's story is a picture to all the world of God's perfect patience. A powerful example of what God can do with even the most vile sinners who turn to him. And all the people, everyone who saw and knew Saul turned Paul, they all began to say, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to, to destroy. And they all glorified God because of him. This is Galatians 1, 23 and 24. This is Paul's testimony. And recounting it, Paul can't help but break out into a, a spontaneous worship is what we see in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The king of the ages, the immortal God, the invisible God, the only God. Paul says, he is the reason. He is the one who gets the glory and the honor for my story. And so now we see here, Paul sets forth the gospel clearly to Timothy. This is the truth, Timothy. This is sound doctrine. This is what you are to teach and uphold. And then we see he continues to command Timothy in verse 18. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Paul here brings back the charge that we saw last week. The charge to Timothy to keep to the truth, to keep on to sound doctrine. It says by the prophecies or in other words in accordance with the calling that is on your life as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, Timothy, wage the good warfare now. Wage the good warfare. What does that refer to here? It refers to the battle against false teaching. It refers to the battle against uh, uh, of, of truth Against the lies. And this is the noble fight that Paul is calling Timothy to. Fight the good fight. Fight the noble battle. The battle for truth against false teaching. And how is Timothy going to do this? Paul tells him, firstly, by holding the faith. That means believing the right teaching. Holding the right doctrine. And secondly, by holding a good conscience. That, that means to obey the, the truth. Keeping a good conscience. What is, what is the conscience? It is that thing within us that, that helps us to, to, to discern between right and wrong, right? And, and, and it is in accordance with our belief. And so these things go together. They are inseparable here, right? A a sound doctrine, a a, a firm belief, faith, and then a good conscience. That is practice of what you believe. Practice of the truth in your life, the way that you live, the way that you act. Faith and obedience. Paul tells Timothy, wage the good warfare by holding these things, right doctrine and right practice. Then he closes, By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of the faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. By rejecting this, right doctrine and right practice, some have made shipwreck of their faith. These are false Christians Liars, apostates. And Paul here shares another testimony for Timothy and for us to consider. It's a tragic testimony. The testimony, the testimony of those two, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who made a shipwreck of their faith. These two individuals, Timothy knew them. And he knew them because they professed to be Christians. They were people who were going to church. And they said that they believed in Jesus. And they said that they believed the right things. And I, I'm sure that even some of their lives, even, they, they probably did some good works. But somewhere along the line, these two individuals embraced false teaching. And they ignored their consciences. They rejected faith in the right teaching. They rejected faith in the gospel, in Christ. And they ignored their consciences. They did what was evil. And so what does Paul do? Because of his position as their authority, he hands them over to Satan. Now, this is an awful, scary phrase. This phrase refers to excommunication from the church. It is the action of removing someone from the church after they are unwilling to repent of a specific sin. This is exactly what Jesus commands the disciples to do in Matthew 18 as a last effort to prevent someone from leaving the faith. Let me just park here for a second. Paul says to be cast from the church, to be excommunicated, to be left put outside of the church is being handed to Satan. It grieves me that so many Christians willingly. Leave the church. Willingly. Don't attend on a regular basis. I read a horrifying statistic this week. 1.2 million Christians in America leave the church a year. That was pre-COVID. I don't know what it's at now. I don't imagine it's better. Paul says, being cast outside of the church, it's like being handed over to Satan. The purpose of excommunication is restoration. That is the hope of this action of putting somebody outside of the church. The hope is that the sinner would see the severity of their sin and that they'd be brought to sorrowful repentance. They'd, they'd say, oh my gosh, I am, I've been cast out of the church. I must be doing something really wrong. And they'll go, oh God, please forgive me. And we bring them back. We restore them. That's the hope here. That's Paul's hope for these two individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He says, His hope is that they would learn not to blaspheme. This testimony is a sobering example of what happens to those who do not hold fast to the truth. Yet even for these blasphemers, there is hope because of this gospel that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Surely, If a blasphemer like Saul could become Paul, then these blasphemers, uh, Alexander and Hymenius, could turn and receive mercy and forgiveness from our gracious God. This is the gospel. And what a powerful gospel message it is. And also a sobering reminder to hold fast to it. Now there are a lot of truths that we could pull from this text I'm going to focus on three gospel truths and then we're going to bring in some applications. So here are three truths about the gospel. Firstly, the gospel gives hope to every sinner. The gospel means good news. Gospel means good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That is tremendously good news. The best news you will ever hear. Because we're all sinners. Every last one of us. We are all sinners. We have all turned from God and broken his laws. We have lied and we have cheated. We have lusted and hated and idolized people and things and blasphemed God with our words and actions, with unbelief. And what's clear is that the only adequate penalty for sin, for sinners, is death in hell. Hell is this real place, an eternal place of torment where every evil and every injustice, every sin, Is to be judged. This is what Paul deserved. This is what sinners deserve. This is what I deserve. But the gospel is the hope of the world. Because while we were stuck in our sins and headed on this direction towards hell, God sent Jesus to save sinners. Jesus came down to this earth, he put on flesh, became a human. And he lived a perfect life. He did not sin. Ever. In other words, he maintained God's standard, God's law. He succeeded to do what I failed to do every day. He was perfect. And though he was sinless... He went to a cross and he died. He suffered the consequence of sinners on a cross. He took our punishment. He took our consequence upon himself and he died. So that when we stand before God, All who believe in him can say, my sin has been dealt with. Look at Jesus. He died for me. He paid the penalty. He paid the consequence for my sin. And not only that, but Jesus' perfect life, sinless life, is then applied to us. God says, welcome, good and faithful servant based on the work of what Jesus did. The gospel is the truth that Jesus came to save every sinner, every single one of them who puts their faith in him, no matter how bad they are, no matter how awful their past, whether you're Paul, whether you're Hymenius, whether you're Alexander, whether you're Josh, Balsamo, no matter who you are, There is hope because Christ Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save you. Secondly, the gospel keeps us humble. The gospel keeps us humble. Interestingly, Paul in this passage calls himself in the present tense the foremost sinner. I'm the worst, he says. Now, if I was to take a list of every human being that ever existed on earth, me personally, I probably wouldn't put Paul at the top of the list. I probably wouldn't wouldn't put him as the worst, as the foremost. And yet, this is what Paul believes about himself. And I don't think he's being ingenuine here. I think Paul here has a deep and a genuine remorse, contrition over his past, over his sin. And even as an apostle, he never loses sight of the fact that he is unworthy of God's grace. This too is true of you and I. We deserve nothing of what Christ has given us, not even a breath more. We are saved by grace. This is the essence of the gospel. We are saved by grace. That means salvation is a gift. It's it's not something that I or you could earn ourselves with our good works. We can't. And to the degree that we understand this, that we are saved by grace, to the degree that we understand this, will be the extent of our humility. This is why we as Christians ought to be the most humble people on the face of the earth. Charles Spurgeon once said, grace puts its hand on the boasting mouth and shuts it once for all. And yet, if we're being honest, we are so concerned with me, myself, and I. We are so often caught up with, with, with putting out our own worthiness. Right? We're so caught up with, with estimating our own goodness. Look what I did. Look what I did. I did this. I did this. I did this. And we begin to get prideful and we begin to think that we deserve things. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm the foremost sinner, I deserve nothing. I'm not worthy of what I've received, is what Paul says. This should be our posture when we consider who we are before Christ, apart from Christ. The true gospel, sound doctrine, always produces humility. The gospel always produces humility. Humility. The gospel destroys the proud, destroys them. To the proud it says, you may think you're good enough, you're not. And it gives hope to the lowly, those who know, I'm not enough, I need Jesus. Three, the gospel awakens joyful thanksgiving and worship. The gospel awakens joyful thanksgiving and worship. Paul's testimony, it starts and it ends with thanksgiving and worship. We see him say, I thank Jesus who has given me strength. And he closes, to the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel awakens joyful thanksgiving and worship. Timothy Keller, he says this, I love this, he says, The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope when we consider our brokenness in and of ourselves, when we behold God's love in sending Christ Jesus to save us, when we behold God's grace in adopting us as children and giving us new life and freedom and eternal life and every other good gift, the only adequate response is, thank you, Jesus, I worship you. I worship you. You're so good. Thank you. A lifetime of thanksgiving and worship. And this is expressed in obedience to him. Trust in him. Just follow him. Christ gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. And so I, Lord, give my life to follow you. Yours. Yours. This is obedience. Obedience, however, that does not flow from gospel truth is not obedience. I'm I'm going to say that again here. Obedience, or I should say, perceived obedience, that does not overflow from the gospel truth is not actually obedience the obedience that does not flow out of your faith in christ and thanksgiving and love for him is not actually obedience what do i mean by that if i am not obeying christ as a result of what he has done for me then i'm just going to obey him to try and save myself and that's legalism That's a mindset that thinks, I'm going to save myself. No, you can't. The gospel teaches us, empowers us to obey in truth. It awakens us to live lives of joyful thanksgiving and true worship. This is what we're called to. And so having considered these gospel truths, Having considered what what the Apostle Paul has laid out for us, the truth, the gospel, I urge you with these things. One, put your faith in Christ Jesus, not in your own abilities, not in your own goodness, but in the man who went to the cross for you. Put your faith in him, believe in him, all your hope on him, because he is the only Savior. And he is Lord. If you are here this morning and you haven't done that, today is the day of your salvation. Do not wait another moment. You need him desperately. All who don't know him will perish. It's not all that all who don't know him might perish. No, it's will. That's a fact. If you don't know him, Know him so that you will live and experience the love of Christ in a way that you could never imagine. Don't let anything get in the way. Not, not your sin, not your shame, not your guilt, not fear, nothing. Christ came to save you, period. Perhaps like so many You are already a Christian. You put your faith in Christ. But lately you've felt that your faith is fading. Perhaps you're just finding it hard to trust the gospel. You're feeling weary. You're feeling tired and beaten down. Burdened by inadequacy, burdened by weakness, burdened by sin. The reality is, even for us believers, we so often find it hard to believe the gospel. God, is, is your grace still there? Is it, is it really? After all this, after this thing... Satan will try very hard to tempt us to project our own capacity for grace upon God. I, I, I don't have grace for that person who offended me, so no way God can have grace for me. And so we beat ourselves up and we refuse to receive and live in the grace of God we lose faith in the gospel i don't i don't i don't feel it I, 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 why is this happening lord how could you still possibly love me i mean i did this and i did that i'm so weak i'm so inadequate i'm i'm, I'm so ugly and my heart is messed up and i'm broken and yes child that is the whole point you are That's why he came. Don't hide from him. Hebrews 7.25 says this. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he lives, always lives, to make intercession for them. He is able to save the foremost sinner to the utmost extent. Believe that child of God. And draw near. Take faith. Not in your own ability. Because you can't. Take faith in what Christ has done. And his ability to hold on to you. And never let you go. He lives to intercede. Always on your behalf. What does that mean? When you sin, Jesus says, I've covered it. I've covered it. Believe that child of God and draw near. He loves you. Dare to put your faith in Jesus once again this morning as you did once before and keep that faith tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Receive the grace that is in Christ. Secondly, we must know and show our testimony to the world. Just like the Apostle Paul, we must know ourselves, sinners, having received grace. This is our testimony. And this testimony is to be the proof to the world of God's magnificent grace. And so that in in joy and humility, We shout this testimony. I was sick and he healed me. I was blind and he opened my eyes to see. I was empty and he filled me. Broken and he fixed me. I was dead and he raised me. A sinner and he saved me. World! Believe him! You need him. We must know and show our testimony like a banner, like a light in this dark world. Third, and finally, hold fast to the gospel in faith and in practice. Hold fast to the gospel in faith and practice. Heed the testimony of Hymenius and Alexander. We will shipwreck our faith if we reject two things. That is sound doctrine, right belief, and, good, and a good conscience. That is right practice, right action. And so together, we as believers must fight the good fight and hold fast to the truth, the gospel, by holding faith, the truth, and obeying it, the practice of the truth. This is why it is absolutely essential that you are in the word day after day. It is absolutely essential that you come to church, not just once a month, weekly. Because it is here and it is in the the word that you hear and you understand and know the truth so that you can live in it and walk in it, practice it. We must know the truth so that we can believe the truth and then practice the truth. Faith and obedience, they go hand in hand, and it is the life of the believer here. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're living in a way that is contrary to the gospel. Maybe you've not been obeying the truth. Willingly persisting in sin, rejecting your own conscience, wake up! Wake up! Stop heading down that way. Don't continue down the path of those who shipwreck. You don't know if you'll make it back. I get sick and tired of hearing so many people say, I'll get serious with the Lord later. I'll get serious with with the Lord when it's convenient. You don't know if you have later. You're not guaranteed another breath. So why dare wait? And oh my, if if, if if by God's grace you do walk away and you come back, just know it won't be you. It'll be God's grace that brings you back. So don't do that. If that is you, you're walking in that direction. Here's the path forward. Repent. That means turn around. Go back. And know the gospel. God saved you so that you could do that very thing. So that you can repent. And come back to him and know him and experience joyful life, eternal with him, free from sin and empowered. This is the life to which we're called. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save you remember this hold fast to this gospel I'm going to ask the ushers if they can come forward Jesus he instituted for believers a way for us to remember the gospel a way for us to be reminded regularly of our testimony. And that is through the partaking of communion. Jesus implements this meal to be done often and regularly, even as often as you meet, is said. Jesus institutes this Practice this sacrament and he says do this in remembrance of me do this in remembrance of who I am your savior and lord remember who you are a sinner res- saved by grace remember what I've done going to the cross for you and raising three days later to secure you a child of God. It says, do this in remembrance of the gospel. We're going to partake of this meal together. If you have not received Christ, if you don't know Jesus, you have not put your faith in him, I'm going to ask that you would not partake. This is for the believer. And let it be an invitation, rather, to put your faith in Christ for the first time. If you are here this morning, if you've never done that, don't leave without at least considering, at least thinking about it, talking about it. I and many others in this room, the elders, will be, glad to to talk with you about that and and to walk you through what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Don't leave without talking to us if that's you, if you've never done that before. Together we saw Paul's testimony this morning, the powerful display of the gospel. Well, as we partake of communion together, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think of your own testimony, your own story. Remember what Christ has done, not for all of us, but for you, the individual. If you need forgiveness for a sin, this is the time to confess to him in your heart. But let's take a moment of silence and give the Lord Thanks. on the night Jesus was betrayed he met with his disciples and they gathered they gathered one last time around table And Jesus knew what he was about to do. He was about to suffer the unimaginable. He was about to be broken. He was about to go to the cross. And he was about to take on the consequence of a million sinners He knew he was going to take on the wrath of God And having known this He breaks bread And he passes it to his disciples around the table And he says to them, this is my body. It's broken for you. Just do this, eat this in remembrance of me of what I've done for you. Father God, thank you so much that our Lord was broken so that we could be healed. We remember him. And we thank you for him. Let's eat together. And in the same way, he took a cup and he poured wine into it. And he said to his disciples, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven because our Lord's blood was shed. His perfect blood shed. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus applied to us. We are clean, holy, no longer sinners in your sight based upon the blood of Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Let's drink together. Father God, we give you thanks for the gospel that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Thank you, Lord, for the work of Christ. That is enough. That alone is enough to save us. Father, forgive us for ever losing sight of that reality that we've received. Father, let us hold fast to it. Lord, for those who are here, who are broken, who are tired and weary and just at the end of themselves, Lord, I pray that they would see your love in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to live in it, to walk in it, to believe it. Because Satan tries hard to make us stop believing. Give us more grace. Grace. You are the God of grace. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.